0: Right, <clears throat> here we go. Bez-moi quel weekend part Pardon my French, but what an incredible experience the Spring Classic turned out to be. So welcome back to episode 12 of Chopped Strength Through Vulnerability, the podcast where I'm sharing my journey as an amputee. So this episode is going to be pretty much a recount of last weekend's Spring Classic up in Woolacoom, Devon. As I say, it was an unbelievable few days and to do justice to all the incredible people I met, this is going to be part one of a spring classic double header. So let's get right into it. When I was writing the CHOP business plan, I was doing it to achieve the goal I'd set myself around November time. That goal was to acquire some grant funding, you know, free money, I go on about it enough and to use that free money to buy some t-shirts, some sweatshirts and some hooded tops and to sell them on my own website. And for me, it was a mental health project more than anything. It was a way for me to find some purpose in my life, to get me through the dark, rainy days of winter. And if I'm really honest, that was the limit of my ambition. Obviously, you can't write that in a business plan. There's no awarding body is going to give you money to do that. So in the business plans, I wrote how I'd look to go to surfing competitions and surf-related festivals. But I'm not sure I ever really thought it would be something that I'd actually do. But I thought it sounded good for those reading my proposal and demonstrated ambition. Once I'd secured the grant, sourced the clothes and put them on the website, I'd achieved what I set out to do. And that pretty much coincided with the clocks going forward and the arrival of spring. Job done my mental health project had done what I intended it to do. It had given me a purpose through winter and had helped me navigate the darkness I was dreading. However, always in the back of my mind, there's been the gnawing doubt that people, well, when I say people, what I really mean is friends, friends of friends, friends of my wife's and old school friends have been onto the website, obviously to support me following the amputation But ultimately, they've done that out of a mixture of compassion, empathy, but also out of sympathy for me. My internal negative monologue has repeatedly told me that the sales I've made have been out of sympathy and that I've been cashing in on the sympathy pound. I'll always be grateful to those people who've been on the website. You know the one, www.thechopshop.com and made a purchase or in some cases a number of purchases. So thank you, genuinely thank you from the bottom of my heart for your support. And because you wonderful people did that, it meant I'd made my money back and I had money to reinvest. But ultimately I know I can't expect those same people to only ever buy clothes from me. So it came to a point where I had to see whether the products And the concept I'm promoting did actually resonate with people who don't know me, with strangers, with the general public. I must have seen hundreds of adverts for the Spring Classic on Instagram since the turn of the year, but never gave any thought to actually taking the chop shop on tour. I think the catalyst for sending that email was my business lunch at the RAC Club on Pall Mall with the black farmer, Wilfred Emmanuel Jones. Now he didn't specifically tell me to get a stall at the Spring Classic, but he did echo the sentiment of my old friend at EA Blinds, who rang me half-cut one Saturday evening in November telling me, I think you might have something here, pal, with this idea. He said to me, be bold, be brave, and that successful people aren't successful overnight, they just keep plugging away at it, which is very much the message at the heart of Jeopardy, the Black Farmers book on, the danger of playing it safe on the path to success. One other thing at EA Blind said to me repeatedly was, people buy from people. So one day, maybe six weeks or so ago, I saw that same Spring Classic advert and thought, fuck it. No harm in sending them an email. I got an automated response back that read, if your email concerns a stall at this year's Spring Classic, the cutoff for applications was January. So I thought, fair enough, I've missed the boat on that. But then maybe two weeks later I received a message from the festival organiser that basically said, just read the backstory behind your brand, despite missing the cutoff for this year's event. We'll see if we can fit you in. We'll be in touch. Anyway, cutting a long story short, obviously I got a pitch. You might recall two weeks ago, I attended a small store market in Truro run by Outset, who ran the business course I did and who approved my business plan and approved my grant funding. It was at this event I met at One Blue Eye Cornwall, who is going to feature prominently in this week's episode. At the Truro market, he came by my stall and said hello. We had a nice little chat and a little while later, he popped back and bought a tea from me. My second of two customers on that day. Later that day, he tagged me in a post wearing the tea he'd bought. A few days later, he tagged me in a post bigging up this podcast. A week later, he messaged, after listening to the pod, saying he was also up at the Spring Classic and that we should try and get our stalls next to one another. Well, guess what? Our stalls were only next to one another. Strength in numbers and strength in vulnerability. Fortunately for me, close friends of both my wife and I have a house in Croyd, which turned out to be a 10 minute drive from the site on which the Spring Classic was being held, and they were down there in the week leading up to the festival. In addition to that, the chop design elf, or creative director to give him his proper title, was also in Croyd that week, so everything was falling into place nicely. In the week leading up to the event, I was becoming increasingly anxious. My anxiety centered around people not liking the brand, thinking the product was shite, and that I'd make no sales. But I kept telling myself, if that does happen, I'm at a festival and if I'm not making any sales then I can just enjoy the event, and ultimately what else would I have been doing last weekend? We loaded the car up on Wednesday afternoon and set off up to Croyd. Arriving in Croyd, it was great to catch up with some really good old friends. We went out that evening, sat in a field overlooking the beach on a gloriously sunny evening, listening to a fella singing and playing his guitar, tucking into some exceedingly tasty chicken burgers. But I'd be lying if I said I wasn't... I'd be lying if I said I was feeling relaxed about the following days. Before going any further with this recount, I need to say none of this would have happened without the following two guys the chop Design Elf, his talent and willingness to give his time to create the design, set the ball rolling. So big up the man that is Cram. Thank you, my brother. Without you, none of this would have happened. Also, to Sausage Jim. Now, Sausage is a real-life, proper businessman who's worked fucking tirelessly to get where he is. He's the person I sent the business plans to. He read and reviewed them, telling me what worked, what met the brief and what needed improving. Little deviation incoming. So Manchester City are currently managed by the one and only Pep Guardiola, whose success is unrivalled. But behind Pep is a team. One of those is a guy named Omar Barado. You rarely see him and you never hear from him. But when City are successful, he's one of the first people Pep runs to and hugs. And Barado always has something to whisper in Pep's ear. To me, it looks like he's Pep's mentor, a confidant. This is how I describe the Sausage Man. He's in the background, giving sound, advice, guidance and support. To me, he's the chopped overlord. He doesn't need to be messing around on stalls at festivals. But he's been there every step of the way. So big up, the Sausage King. So that's the backstory and the build-up dealt with. Let's get to the action. I'm up early on the Thursday morning, raring to go. We make our way up to the festival site arriving at the festival production office. Upon walking in, I'm greeted by one of the organizers, Eve, who immediately says, you must be Stephen." To which I replied, that's right, how did you know? Before saying, oh yeah, it'll be the one arm thing, won't it? So I had a brief chat with Eve, who'd been the person I'd mainly been dealing with over email before she radios through to Alice, the festival manager, who'd read and responded to my original email. Eve to Alice, Eve to Alice, chopped her here. Now that felt a bit strange hearing that, like we were a proper business and not just some one-armed chancer. We met Alice, have a brief chat and then she instructs us to go to the accreditation office where we get our festival and exhibitor wristbands. Following this, Alice takes us to our pitch, already set up with a fine looking gazebo, is at One Blue Eye Cornwall, whose stall looked really impressive. One blue eye packed in his job as a contract manager for a housing association to pursue his dream. So he takes everyday plastic items such as milk bottle tops, plastic crates and other disposable items and recycles them into products such as coasters, carabiners, earrings, hand planes for body body surfing and skateboards. A nicer man you would never hope to meet. The last person I met I felt such an instant rapport with is my good mate. The one who does the surf and skate inspired art—you know the guy, that BWJ artist. I'd have loved it if he—I'd have loved it if he was there too. I think he'd have done really well. But maybe next year. We set up the gazebo. As we were doing so, a smallish, cool-looking chap, long hair, beanie, and beard, wanders over and introduces himself as David. Turns out, 20 plus years ago, he set up the brand addict. Some of you may have heard of it. It's a brand I knew of, but not one that I'd ever worn. He sold addicts 10 years or so ago for a couple of million. So to all intents and purposes, you'd think happy days. But David had been struggling with his mental health since. He was really open about his struggles and had been in some really dark places. Sadly, he revealed he'd been suicidal on numerous occasions. But a year or so ago, to help him come out of the darkness, he sat down at his computer, and re-engaged with his creative side and his love of graphic design. He was at the Spring Classic to spread the word about his new brand, Thanks, or to give it its full trademark title, Thanks.London. The Thanks.London gazebo made my Argos gazebo look like the Palace of Versailles. In place of rails, he'd strapped a scaffold tube to the top of his gazebo. He wasn't overly asked about any of that. And when he showed us his product, it was obvious to see why. The product spoke for itself. It was quality. It was really, really good. The concept behind Thanks is a series of characters from around the world. I won't list them all, but you've got Arthur, a retired black cab driver who loves a crossword with his pint. Mr. Kobayashi, a highly skilled pruner. Javier, find him painting abstract art in the streets of Barcelona. Noah, a beach loving pineapple who loves to surf. Hiro, the amazing robot vending machine and Carlos, a guitar-playing cactus who loves to party. So the blurb on the Thanks.London website reads, We believe that being thankful can change the world. Maybe not the whole world, but our world and the world around us. Our laid-back range of distinctive and progressive products has gratitude woven into every thread. Every piece appears positive and fresh, regardless of fads or trends. It's designed, for cura- uh, it's designed for curators and conduits of street culture who want clothing that is thoughtful, purposeful and iconic, without the hype. Gratitude and positivity informs all our prints and graphics. It helps us burn away the dark clouds and fight gray and fight gray with color and light. Thanks. Pass it on. David was generously handing out t-shirts and hooded tops to the festival staff and to other traders such as ourselves. I got Noah, the surfing pineapple. The quality of his product was right up there. It had all the nice little touches and perhaps most poignantly on the inside hem of every tee. On a little hem tag is the message at the heart of the brand, thanks, pass it on. David was one of those guys who you could tell had partied hard. He had so many tales from his 30 years in the rag trade, but he was also incredibly open about the challenges and turmoil he'd had in his life. He knew everyone from the guys behind Fuck to Stussy and was close friends with the guys who'd started Superdry. Interesting fact for you, Superdry began life as laundry automatic. Superdry has never really been my thing, but you can't really argue with how successful it's been. A few things really stood out to me about him. He was passionate and he believed in what he was doing. Having been in the trade for so long, he really knew what he was talking about and he had an eye for branding. He had a flick through the chop rails and encouragingly he was positive about the logos, the designs and the colourways. But when I compared our product to his, his, and I've got to be honest, his was streaks ahead of ours. But it was always going to be that way. After 30 years in the game, he had the contacts, the knowledge and the backing to produce a high-end product. And it is a high-end product. Tees on the Thanks website retail at £47 and Hudstat at £120. He wasn't selling them at the festival for that price. His aim at the Spring Classic was to raise brand awareness, hence him giving away so much free stuff and selling at a significantly reduced rate. It was great that the chop design elf and the business overlord were both there, we all got free teas, but more importantly, when we got back to base that afternoon, we were all in agreement that that was the benchmark that we had to aspire to. I want to get the chop range to that level. The feel of the cotton, the neck detailing, the hem and neck labels, the embossed drop label. It was the full package, a really, really good product. No wonder he wasn't asked about the gazebo <laughs> No wonder he wasn't asked about his gazebo. I won't tell you how much he got teased for, but believe me, even selling them at £20 rather than the £47 on the website, he was making a good markup. No wonder he was giving so many away for free. Encouragingly though, he said to me if he ever needed any help or advice or needed putting in touch with suppliers to get in touch with him. That evening we went down to the Thatch in Croyd for a meal, shared a bottle of wine and I had a few rums afterwards, Dutch, or would it be Jamaican Courage, for day one of the festival. I was up early the next morning, my wife drove me to the site because I can't drive. Here I am trying to make a go of it as a disabled entrepreneur. But remember I don't need to be able to drive as I can walk 200 metres and plan a route unaided. If I wasn't married or with a partner I'd never have been able to do any of this. There's not a chance I could have carted all the stuff we took from Newquay up to North Devon using public transport. But that's not what this episode is about. We get to the site and we set up the stall. Once we set up, my wife went back to Croydon and I was all alone. Well, not quite alone as they had one blue eye next to me for company. In the week leading up to the festival, I said to at BWJ artist, if one cool looking person walks by on the first morning, it could be the catalyst People see someone cool wearing a chopped tea or sweat. They might think that they fancy a bit of it. So the gates open at 10, a few people sniffed around. But then at five minutes past 11, I get my first customers, who turned out to be a Brazilian couple. He picked up a bright orange OK finger curl sweat and his wife had the bright fuchsia hand splash sweater. No messing around, no tyre kicking. They picked them up and bought them right there and then. I couldn't believe it. Actual strangers bought my product. Turns out they lived in Swansea and Eduardo is a semi professional cyclist. Check him out at Cycle for Hope. Honestly, what a guy. Following Covid, he cycled 5,500 miles. Yep, that's 5,500 miles around Wales to raise money for Save the Children Wales. And more recently, he's done a 24 hour sponsored cycle to raise money for the victims of the earthquakes in Turkey and Syria, uh, Turkey and Syria. Gotta be honest, my first sale felt amazing. I was genuinely overjoyed. I was absolutely buzzing. One blue eye popped onto the stall and as a devotee to the party said to me, that counts as a real sale, doesn't it? Following my first sale, things slowed down before I was joined by my wife and her daughter the design elf, the creative director, and the business overlord with their wives and kids. My wife's daughter played an absolute blinder over the next few hours, walking around the festival site, giving out my spring classic flyers and business cards and speaking to people sharing the backstory. Her efforts bore bore fruit as more people started dropping by the chop shop and a further sale was in the bank, a maroon ABB hoodie. Even with a couple of sales secured, I was still a bit nervous, a bit unsure of how to be. I'm fine when people come to me and initiate conversation. But at this point, I was still in the mindset of not wanting to hassle people, not wanting to bother them. That's not my vibe. And it was the business overlord who was greeting people, inviting them to have a look around, showing me how it's done, really. Two weeks earlier, at the small stall market, outside Dan had suggested doing something to make the stall more interactive. He floated the idea of doing a live podcast from the chop shop. As much as I liked the idea, I wasn't entirely sure my very basic equipment would be up to outside broadcasts. Then I had a bit of a eureka moment. I thought I'd take the indoor board up. For those who aren't familiar with them, it's a balance board, nothing more than an oval shape bit of plywood on a plastic roller. My wife had bought me one for Christmas, and BWJ thought I'd be able to woo customers with my one-armed indoor boarding skills. I thought it'd be good to take as it would be something to do to pass the time if I didn't get any customers. Shortly after lunch I was messing around on it and a few people asked if they could have a go. One of these was a lad in his early twenties who was really good on it. Then by chance a teenage girl, a younger brother and his mate wandered by. Inspired by what they'd seen they asked if they could have a go. Of course you can was my reply. The older of the two lads hopped on it and pretty much went flying straight away, landing fucking ass on... Oh, I got that bit wrong, didn't I? Anyway, landed on his bottom. At which point, I started to give them a bit of indoor board coaching. Within a few minutes, they were both doing it without my assistance. So the guy who the guy who they'd seen was doing 180s on it, which I started attempting, and to my surprise, I was making them. Then one of the lads tried to do it, and I said to him, if you land one, I'll give you a free T-shirt. Now, in surfing, the term grommet, or grom, refers to a young kid who's full of energy and enthusiasm. So these two young grommets get locked into landing a 180. Now, they must have been on it for a good 20 minutes before one of them sticks it. He lands it. He'd done it. He looked at me and excitedly asked, Do I get a free tea?" Yeah, man. So I pointed out the small men's teas and he picks one out. Having seen his mate get one, he has to get one. So he spends another 15 minutes attempting it, and he did it and the sister bought a sweater. So happy days all round. In the midst of all this, more people came by the stall and it was great as the Groms are messing around on the indoor board, I began to feel more at ease, chatting more freely with the passers-by. I had a great chat with one guy who turned out to be a Liverpool fan. So obviously we talked about football and the upcoming FA Cup and Champions League finals. Being a Liverpool fan, he was happy for City to beat United in the FA Cup, but he wasn't feeling us winning the treble. He asked about the brand, so I explained it began as a bit of a mental health project following the amputation of my arm and one thing led to another and here I am selling t-shirts in a field, lovely guy, we had a great chat, and then he was on his way. Moving into the afternoon, the Groms must have spread the word that there's a one-armed guy giving free t-shirts away if you can do a 180 on an indoor board. As the Gromit started coming by, asking, if I do a 180, can I have a tea? Most of them hadn't been on a balance board, so I give them a quick demonstration of what to do and then help them, get in, help them get started, initially giving them my arm to hold on to until they found the balance. I hadn't envisaged this happening, but it really tapped into my love of teaching and coaching. And what I realized was the Groms bring the stoke. Having the Groms out the front of the stall, to my mind, created a really nice vibe. And I guess people coming onto the stall could maybe see an authenticity to me. I think I gave away four free teas that day. Nothing like the same volume of teas as Thanks.London was dishing out, but having the Gromsware, it was brilliant. For what it cost me, it was great to see them persevere on the indoor board and then reward their efforts. More than the sales, that made my day on the Friday. By the afternoon, I was starting to find my feet more in engaging people in telling the story behind the brand. I made a few more sales and as I was packing up on the Friday around six o'clock, with the wind picking up, getting a bit chilly on the top of the cliff. I made a really random sale to a girl who just came on the store cause she was cold and bought a baby blue okay finger curl hood. Happy days. When the chop shop closed on Friday, I'd made 145 pounds, which if you'd have said to me the day before, I'd make 145 pound on the first day, I'd have taken it. I think thanks.london had done 10 times that number. One blue eye had taken a similar amount, so we both finished the day happy. As much as I need to make sales to make it worthwhile, this was never just about making money. Driving back to the overlords house in Croyd, I was absolutely shattered. You really do earn your money, you have to put a lot of yourself into it, but ultimately the only person who benefits is you. That's what's really great about working for yourself. The Overlord and I sat out on the balcony, looking out to sea, watching the sunset, sunset, enjoying a couple of cold ones, and I've got to be honest, I was absolutely worn out, and I thought Christ, I've got to do all this again tomorrow. The Overlord and Design Elf were heading home the next morning, so it was going to be just me on the stall the following morning. I went to bed that night, feeling a mixture of apprehension and excitement. The people I spoke to throughout the Friday were really sound, they were interested in my journey, and were were genuinely impressed with what I'd done following the trauma of the previous year. And that's where I'm going to draw part one of the Spring Classic Doubleheader to a close. As I started this episode with a French profanity, I was unable to meet the request of one of our listeners up in Newcastle. But this is for you, Aunt Dave Mack. How are you, the lads? I had a re-canny time at day one of the Spring Classic Our pet As always, thanks for listening. Thanks for your time. Thanks for your support. Go steady. I'm out.